You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, Take Me to Your Leader, Part 6. Enjoy. Father, we love you so much. You're amazing. And you loved us even when we could care less about you. You pursued us and you gave your son for us. So we know that because you gave everything, because you gave your one and only son, that you will graciously, freely, and gladly give us all things. So we're here this morning. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. We receive from you this morning. We thank you for saving, healing, delivering, setting free, and making whole this morning as only you can do. And we thank you for your ministry through your word. And we look to you for the answers to every situation and circumstance of our lives. And we thank you for leading us forward in your great plan and purpose for our lives. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we are in our series entitled, Take Me to Your Leader. We're talking about alien life in planet Earth. You know, you got to have a sense of humor to live on planet Earth. I've heard people say, well, it's expensive to live on Earth. But look at the bright side. You get a free trip around the sun once a year. That's a good deal. And speaking of sense of humor, how many astronomers does it take to change a light bulb? Anybody know? How many astronomers does it take to change a light bulb? None. They like the dark. There you go. So, all right. You gotta have a sense of humor. I unfortunately didn't, do not have one. But we're gonna keep on moving. We're talking about alien life on planet Earth. Who's the alien? You are. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, we're realizing who we are and why we're here. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, speaking of those who've put their faith in Jesus Christ, says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's who you are, and this is why you're here. That you may proclaim, show forth, and display the excellencies, the goodness of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Bible has a lot to say about who you really are. And the Bible teaches us that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have become a new creation, a new creature, that you are now born of God, born of the incorruptible seed of the word of God, that you're not born of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, John 1, 11 through 13, but you're now born of God and that heaven is your home. So this earth, you're no longer from here. Our home is in heaven and we're on a mission in earth as God's sons and daughters, as God's children, as God's ambassadors to show forth and radiate with the goodness and excellencies of God. So that's why we're here. We talked about last week the goodness of God. 
And we said there's a simple little statement that, that's one of the shortest and briefest statements you'll ever hear, but yet it's one of the most powerful and life-changing statements. And that statement is this, that God is good. And, and we, we, we all agree with that. But the goodness of God is what transforms us. And as God's sons and daughters in the earth, people should experience his goodness when they meet us. They should get to know how good he really is. How well do you know that God is good? There are different levels of understanding of the goodness of God. If you believe that God wants you to be sick in order to teach you something, you don't know God well enough. If you think that God uh, causes tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis and tragedies and accidents, you don't know God well enough. In fact, there is a prevalent thinking among men and women, and it's so prevalent that everything that happens is caused by God. The Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus didn't teach that. And this thinking is so prevalent, if you're familiar with insurance policies, in insurance policies, in speaking of tornadoes and hurricanes, they call them acts of God. Nothing could be further from the truth. When Jesus was faced with storms, he rebuked them. He didn't accept them. If storms were from his father, he would have been rebuking his father. And we know he never did that because a kingdom divided cannot stand, right? So we were talking about this uh, at our get-together, and my wife brought up something I thought it was great. She says, isn't it, isn't it interesting in the insurance policies, they'll call these terrible things acts of God, not Mother Nature. They won't say anything bad about Mother Nature, <laughs> but they'll attribute these bad things to God. I remember that... that it's not nice to fool Mother Nature commercial. You guys remember that? It was for a parquet margarine, I think. <laughs> anyway, but how well do you know the goodness of God? How well do you know? How deep is your relationship with him? How do we go deeper in our relationship with God? Well, I've got good news for you. It's not through long hours of prayer. It's not through fasting. It's not through doing a number of sacraments. We go deeper in our relationship with Christ by putting our faith in his promises. There's no weight with that, right? There's no, uh, that's a motivating reality. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 1, mm -hmm. verses 3 and 4 say this, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Didn't leave anything out. So if there's anything you can think of that has to do with life and godliness, God has granted it to you. Through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence, and through these, verse 4, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Why has he given us these promises? So that through them, through his promises, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world 
caused by evil desires. So God wants us to go deeper in him by putting our faith in his promises. There are promises that God has made for you that apply to every single area of your life. In other words, God has met your needs through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, materially, financially, socially, in every area of your life. And we go deeper by studying the scriptures and finding these promises and applying them to each area of our lives. That's how we grow. That's how we experience more of him. So as God's ambassadors, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in the earth, we should be those who are overflowing with the goodness and promises of God. We should be those who know God and know his promises in every area of our lives. How well do you know him? How well do you know his promises? There are different levels of a relationship, right? I mean, you're way out on the fringes, you can have someone that just knows about someone. They've read maybe a book on them, or they've seen them on TV, or they've read their blog, and they know of them and they know about them, but they really don't know them. Maybe that's you and your relationship with God. You've read about him, you've heard about him, but you haven't personally walked with him through each day of your life. So you can know of or about someone. You can become an acquaintance of someone. You can become slightly familiar with someone because you've met them a few times or maybe you see them every now and then. So you can become an acquaintance. You can, become, you can be a coworker of someone where you know them because you work with them, but that's all you really know about them. Or you can go deeper and you can actually become a friend of someone. Now, we're not talking about a Facebook friend, right, quote, unquote, because you can have a friend on Facebook and not know them at all. But a friend, someone that you have something in common with, someone that you understand and understands you, right, someone that you like to be around. You can, you can have a best friend. You can go deeper yet. And this is someone where you really share a common purpose with, right? Where your hearts are moving in the same direction. Someone who gets you and you get them. Someone who understands you and you understand them. So you can be a best friend. You can, you can have a relationship with someone based on their biological relationship. A cousin, right? An, an aunt or an uncle. You can have a relationship with someone because they're your brother or your sister. That can be a very deep relationship because they've lived with you your whole life. They've grown up in the same house with you, right? They've teased you and, and, and eaten all the cereal. When, when you went to the cupboard to find more, it was gone because your brother ate it. Right, Judah? Yeah. So you can have a brother or a sister, and we even use that term to speak about someone that we have a close relationship with. I could say Brother Dennis or Brother Joe or Brother Alan because there is a powerful connection. The connection and what we have in common is Christ. And you can have the, the two most powerful relationships in your life are the relationships of a mother and a father, a parental relationship, 
and then the relationship of a husband and a wife. And that's where two people literally become one. And they commit their entire lives to each other. And they live their le- the rest of their days together as one. So there are all these different levels of relationship. Well, as far as from God's perspective, as far as he's concerned, he knows us perfectly. He knows us intimately. He knows everything about you. That word intimate comes from the Latin word, which means inmost. In other words, God knows your innermost desires. He knows your innermost dreams, your innermost hopes. He knows what will really satisfy you. And no one knows you better than him. In fact, he knows you better than you know you. And no one loves you more than him. And no one wants to meet your desires and and satisfy you and care for you more than him. So from his perspective, he knows us intimately. In fact, the scriptures say in Psalm 139 that he knit us together in our mother's womb. That's intimacy. But from our perspective, God wants us to know him intimately. He wants us to know the innermost things in his heart, the deep things in God's heart. In fact, uh, let's see, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Look at verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. Why did he do this? Because he wants us to know him. He wants us to come close. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep innermost things of God. So from God's perspective, he has cleared the way for us. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, and because he gave Christ, if you simply put your faith in what Jesus did for you, that that when you come to Christ, every sin you've ever committed is completely washed clean and washed away. And there is no longer any condemnation from you. In fact, you can come to God day or night at any time with boldness, without hindrance, and fellowship with him because of what Jesus did. God's cleared the way for us. And it's amazing to think about that through this one sacrifice, right? The, the, the greatest sinner, the worst, uh, most rebellious person of all time can simply come to God and, and put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and receive God's complete and absolute forgiveness and begin to uh, know intimately the one who made them. God speaks about the relationship that he desires to have with us in the word. In fact, you know, God calls us his co-workers. <laughs> In 1 Corinthians 3, 9, it says, for we are God's co-workers. That's pretty cool to think about, isn't it? We're laboring with him. 
We're co-workers together with him. Do you know that Jesus calls us God's friends? If you've put your faith in Christ, John 15, 15, Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, all things. See, so I've called you friends. The reason I've called you friends is because the things that I've made known to you are from my father. There's an intimacy there. You, you're not a servant, you're my friend. For all things I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Those are those deep things it talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Do you know that the scriptures teach us that, that Jesus is our brother? Wow. Hebrews chapter 11, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 says, Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. We're his co-workers. We're his friends. We're his brothers. Do you know that we're his children, his sons and daughters? Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. We're co-workers, we're friends, we're brothers, we're children, we're joint heirs with Christ. It's a powerful relationship. Now, before we move on to the next scripture, I want to pause here for a moment. At the end of verse 17, it says, if indeed we suffer with him. And the reason I want to pause is because there's a lot of confusion in the body of Christ about suffering. What is he talking about, if indeed we suffer with him? He's talk about, talking about being persecuted for the sake of Christ. When you give your everything to Christ, there are going to be people who make fun of you, who ridicule you, who will end their relationship with you, who may spitefully use you. There's a, that's the type of persecution that Jesus went through, right? He was persecuted for living his life fully committed to God his Father. So that type of suffering is the suffering in which Jesus was our example, persecution for righteousness' sake. There's another type of suffering. And people mix the two of them up. When they see the word suffering, they lump them all together in the body of Christ. It's kind of like the acts of God quote on the insurance policies. Okay? There's another type of suffering in which Jesus was not our example. He was our substitute. All right? This type of suffering in which Jesus was our substitute, we are not to bear. We are to rebuke and to resist and to have victory over it. What, type, what did he bear? Well, one of the things, Matthew 8, 17 says, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Jesus bore 
our sicknesses on the cross. That type of suffering he endured as our substitute so we don't allow those things to operate in our lives. We resist them. We rebuke them. We forbid them any, any, uh, any right to operate in our lives. Just wanted to pause there for a moment. It's important to understand the difference between the things in which Jesus was our example and in which Jesus was our substitute. All right? So he's talking about persecution for righteousness' sake. That's the type of suffering that we endure as his co-workers, his friends, his brothers, his, his, uh, his joint heirs. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Wow. So we are all these things through Christ. But God's not done yet. Are you ready for this? Not only are we co-workers, friends, brothers, sons and daughters, children of God, joint heirs, with Christ God as our Father, but God has brought us into a covenant relationship that is likened unto a husband and a wife. Isaiah chapter 54, verses 4 and 5. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame, neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. Why? Verse 5. For your husband is your maker. Talk about a deep relationship. Whose name is the Lord of hosts, the God of the angel armies. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. Romans chapter 7, verses 3 and 4 says, So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, this is speaking about the legal relationship between a husband and a wife. So if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Why? That you may be married to another. Who is that? Jesus, right? To him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. Wow. Can't get any more intimate than that. Do you know that when you put your faith in Christ, God's very spirit takes your spirit, makes it brand new, and joins himself to you? God is living inside of you if Jesus is the Lord of your life. It's good to get to, to remind yourself of that as you're going through each day. When you go to bed tonight and lay your head on your pillow, you remind yourself, God's living in me. I'm his son, his daughter. I'm in a covenant relationship with him. I've been made one with him. 
and you have a good night's rest. And you get up in the morning, and as you're getting ready to go through your day, you're reminding yourself, the Holy Spirit is living in me. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. My maker is my husband. I've been joined with Christ. I'm living my life with God living inside of me. So through faith in Christ, we've been brought into this intimate relationship with God. But even though God did all of this, that was his initiative, his love. Even though he did all of this, it's up to us. We have to make a choice. We have a responsibility to affectionately and passionately pursue him. We have to make a choice in our lives to treasure him, to value and love him, our relationship with him, more than any other human being, more than anything in this world. Because a relationship is a two-way street, isn't it? Have I ever told you what, speaking of two-way streets, have I ever told you what Sammy Davis Jr. told me? I got to tell you this story. You guys know who Sammy Davis Jr. is, right? Legendary singer. Well, when I was in high school, my mom bought my brother and I tickets to go see Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., and Dean Martin on their final tour. This is back in the 80s. And I called the final Rat Pack tour. So my brother and I went to the Civic Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we're in the, we're in the second level, and Sammy Davis is on the stage and he's about to do a song, and it's very quiet, and he's taking a little sip of his drink. And in the quiet, I open my mouth, and I, I yell out, I love you, Sammy. And you know what he did? They couldn't see me, but I, I imagine that he, he knew me. So he put his drink down. He looked up at the balcony. He said, let me tell you, that's a two-way street, babe. <laughs> so me and Sammy were close. But love is a two-way street, isn't it? A relationship is a two-way street. So I want to exhort you to make a choice, regardless of what yesterday was like, to choose to go deeper. To choose to go deeper in him. To choose to experience the abundant life he came to give you. I love how Paul said it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 in the Amplified. He said, for my determined purpose. In other words, I've made a choice for the rest of my life that I'm going to be all about yes. knowing him. Yes. My determined purpose is that I may know him, not about him or of him, but him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Amen. That is the greatest decision you could ever make. Regardless of what others might think about you, nothing will thrill you more than growing in him, than tasting the deep things that he's prepared for you in Christ. Jesus invited us to do that. In Mark chapter 11, verse 22, in the message translation, he says, embrace this God life. Really embrace it. Throw your arms out. Give everything you've got to God. 
In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, in the message, it says, steep your lives. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, and God provisions. See, we said last week, and boy, if you weren't here, get the message from last Sunday. It'll help you tremendously. You can just go to highwaychurch.us. It's free. And click on the podcast button. And listen to last week's message. But we said that you, you can misunderstand God and the Word of God if you don't know the heart of God. Jesus wants us to steep our lives in Him, in God reality, God initiative, and God provisions. And so many pastors, ministers, Seminary graduates have misunderstood God because they don't know the heart of God. Well, Jesus revealed the heart of God. If you want to know the heart of God, study Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. That's the heart of God. And why is that important? Because there are things you can know about God without really knowing him very well. You can just know of God, and there are things you'll know. For example, I don't have to know much about God at all to know that he's powerful. Of course he is. He's God, right? I don't have to have a personal relationship with him to realize that. I want to give you an example of this. So intimacy with God is not required to know that he's powerful. But I've got to go deeper if I want to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it's his desire to use his power to make me whole. That's a whole different level of relationship now. When I know in my heart beyond the shadow of a doubt, yes, he's powerful and it pleases him, it's his will and pleasure to employ his power on my behalf to deliver me. Let me show you an example of this in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to see a man who knew of God. And he knew God was powerful. Of course he's powerful. But he didn't know that God desired to use his power to make him whole. Matthew chapter 8. See, it requires a deeper level of relationship to know the goodness of God. Yes. Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to read out of the Phillips New Testament. Verse 1. Large crowds followed him when he came down from the hillside. That's Jesus. There was a leper. That's a person with a disease of leprosy who came and knelt in front of him. Sir, he said, if you want to, you can make me clean. So what do we have here? This man obviously knows that he's able right? That Jesus is powerful, that he has the power to make him clean. But what's the question mark in his mind? Does he want to? And so many believers have that same question mark in their minds today. And the reason is because they heard some pastor somewhere tell them that it's God's will for them to be sick. They're going to learn something through it. And, but if they'll just go to Jesus... If they'll just study Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, they will discover it's God's will for them to be well. Let's listen to Jesus, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he says, sir, if you want to, 
you can make me clean. I know about you. I know you're powerful. He didn't know him, though. Jesus stretched out his hand and placed it on the leper, saying, of course I want to. Be clean. That's Jesus. He never changes. And at once, he was clear of the leprosy. I read one comment on the Greek words here. And this uh, commenter said that the, the way the Greek is worded here, it reveals an emphasis on the tone of Jesus. Now listen to this. This answer implies anger, shock, or surprise. Of course I want to. Why would Jesus have been angry? Angry that there weren't preachers in that man's life teaching him that it was God's will for him to be well. Do you remember when Jesus went into the synagogue and there was a man with a withered hand and he told him to stretch forth his hand and he was looking around. It says in the scriptures with, uh, with anger. He was, he was grieved that this man didn't learn about God's will to be well in church. It grieves God's heart, the things that people are told when they come to church that are not in line with his heart as revealed in Christ. So if you want to know the will of God, the goodness of God, you've got to go deeper than religion. Religion's confusing. You got all kinds of people who have different perspectives. You got to bypass all that and go right to Jesus because he wants to. Of course I want to. Of course it's my will. I'm the good shepherd. Right? I'm the good shepherd. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. See, Jesus makes it so simple. In fact, he said you've got to become like a child to experience the kingdom of God. In Matthew 18.3, we looked at that last week. Let's go to Matthew 7, verse 9. This is how simple Jesus makes it and how confusing religion has made it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. Jesus is talking. He says, What man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. That's ridiculous. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. That's unthinkable. No one would do that, right? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you're a father and your child is sick and you had the power to make them well, would you do it? Well, I don't know. Of course you would. Without hesitation. Without hesitation. As a father, I want my children to be well 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and if I have the power, I'll do everything I can to guarantee that. But I'm not God. How much more, how much more will he do it? How much more is it his will if I, just a man, feel like that towards my kids? How much more does God feel that way about you? Isn't that a simple thing that Jesus said? When you think of it simply, it makes perfect sense. 
It takes man's philosophies to confuse it, right? And just throw all these kind of angles to it. And all of a sudden, you don't know what God's will is, right? But stay with Jesus. Stay with Jesus. So this is an excellent example of someone who knew about God. He knew God was powerful, but he didn't know God. He didn't know that God, it gave God pleasure. It was his will and desire to use his power to make him whole. Let's look at another example in the scriptures. And I heard Joseph Prince use this example, and I thought it was excellent. And it's Peter, the apostle Peter. And let's go to Luke chapter 5. This is the very beginning of Peter's relationship with Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. He responded to his call. Jesus called him to follow him, but he didn't know him. And in Luke chapter 5, in starting in verse 3, Jesus enters into one of the ships that Peter owned. It says Simon in this translation. That's Simon Peter. And prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and Jesus sat down and taught the people out of the ship. This is Luke 5, verse 3, verse 4. Now, when Jesus had left speaking, he said unto Simon, or Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets, N-E-T-S, for a draw. Now, remember, Simon's with him. Peter's with him. He's been called by God, but he doesn't know him very well. So he's going to let Jesus know that he's missed it, that Jesus overlooked something. So Simon answers Jesus and said, Master, listen, we've toiled all night. We're professional fishermen. I own this ship and the other one. I don't know how many ships he owned, but there are at least two there. And have taken nothing. In other words, it's pointless to put our nets down. What did Jesus say? Right? Lower your nets. What did the professional fishermen say? There's no point in that. Okay? He didn't know him well enough. That's why so many people get, get worn out in their profession. Because they're not listening to Jesus. They're not letting down the nets. They're not allowing Jesus to operate and bring his provision into their lives. You'll get worn out when you're living life in your own strength, trying to make end meets. Let Jesus fill your nets. So Peter says, well, listen, there's no point in doing that. Nevertheless, I'll humor you, right? At your word, I'll let down the net. What did Jesus tell him to do? How many nets they have? More than one, right? They're fishermen. So I'll just let down this net, you know? And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. What are we talking about? Business transactions. This was their livelihood. And when they listened to Jesus, his supernatural provision showed up in their lives so much so that their ships began to sink. Now, what's interesting in this is Peter's response to him in verse 8. What would you do? How well do you know him? Peter knew of him, but he didn't know him very well. So Simon Peter sees this. 
And he falls down at Jesus' knees saying, get away from me. <laughs> get away from me. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Listen closely. It does not require intimacy with God to know that he is holy. We all know that. Of course God is holy. You don't have to know him very well to know that. Peter knew of him, and, and, and when the realization that God is standing before him, he didn't know it, he just fell down, like, get away from me. I'm, you're holy and I'm not. But it requires a deeper level of relationship to know that through the sacrifice of God's Son, through faith in Christ, God has made you holy. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that's the response of someone who doesn't know him. They just fall down and say, get away from me. But Peter didn't stay there. Let's fast forward now three years later, and then we'll close, to John chapter 21. Three years later, now Peter's been walking with Jesus. He's been watching him teach, preach, and heal. The three priorities of Jesus' ministry, teaching, preaching, and healing. For over three years, he saw Jesus persecuted for righteousness' sake. He saw him crucified, and he's seen him raised from the dead. He's already risen. And in verse uh, 4 of chapter 21 of John, it says, But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. They're out in the water fishing. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. <laughs> and he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast. And now this, remember, this is over three years later now. Okay, probably about three and a half years later. So they cast. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 7. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, who wrote the book of John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. This is the Peter who knows him now. Look at his response. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. There are about 350, it says uh, 200 cubits. That's about 350 feet from shore. He jumps in the water because he wanted to be close to Jesus. What a difference. <laughs> Didn't know Jesus? Get away from me. I'm unclean. He knows Jesus, jump in the water, swim 350 feet, because I want to do everything I can to be close to him. Yes. See, intimacy. It's intimacy with God. 
It doesn't require intimacy with God to know that he's holy and to know that he's powerful, but it requires a deeper level of relationship, a deeper understanding of his goodness to know that he has made you, he has provided for your cleanliness, for your righteousness, for your holiness through Jesus Christ. That is his will to make you whole. Hallelujah. God is good. Thank you, Father, for your word. Lord, we rejoice in your presence this morning. We thank you. Lord, we choose to go deeper. We've misunderstood you in the past. You know, we, we, we all have areas of our lives that we need to go deeper in. And Holy Spirit, we give you the right of way to take us deeper, deeper into your life, the abundant life you've come to give us, deeper into who you are. We thank you, Father, that you have made provision for our holiness through Christ. You have made provision for our health and our well-being through Christ. And we receive it, Lord. We receive it, and we invite you to operate in in our businesses, Lord, in our work life. We let down the nets that your provision would flow in our lives. We're so thankful, Jesus, that you never change. Regardless of what man might say about you, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You were the provider then in Peter's life, and you're the provider now in our lives. You were the healer then in that leper's life, and you're the healer now in our lives. And we receive your healing in our bodies right now. Every system of our bodies, every cell, every tissue, every organ, and every system of our bodies, we receive it. And thank you that with the stripes that wounded Jesus, we have been healed. We're just going to pray for a few moments now. So we just have a few more minutes and we're going to be done. But I want to just encourage you just to close your eyes and focus on Christ. If you're here this morning and there's something you need healing from, well, the Holy Spirit is here. Christ is here in the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you'll just put your faith in the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, and forget what man says. If you'll just realize that it's his will for you to be well, you can receive it today. So our eyes are closed. We're just focusing on Christ right now. I want to encourage you right now, just by faith, to receive the healing that you need in your body whatever it might be, whatever system, skeletal, immune system, nervous system, respiratory system, circulatory system, nervous system, receive the healing of Jesus Christ this morning. Of course, he's willing. Of course, it's his will. Receive it now in Jesus' name. Receive it now in Jesus' name. Thank you for your will manifest in our bodies. Hallelujah. 
If you're experiencing any condemnation, any depression, any anxiety, I want you to know that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, all your sins have been forgiven. There is no longer any condemnation for you. And that there's nothing for you to be anxious about. And I want to exhort you as we're praying with our eyes closed to focus on Jesus and to cast every anxiety and every care upon him. Because he cares so wonderfully for you. We do that right now, Lord. We cast our anxieties, our cares on you. We resist depression. We resist anxiety. And we declare that you have given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. We thank you for peace in our minds, peace in our souls, and peace in our bodies. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.